Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Hawks executive Arthur Trish. Do you not have privileges with the rookies? You can't make them take care of that? You think I'm going to tell Ivan Johnson something? Are you crazy? I value my life. With your host, Galliop Anderson. Stops it now behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, Richard Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming. Do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Special draft edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Seku Smith of the Hangtime Blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker, uh, my former partner in crime, who stood me up in Miami for the finals. I don't, I don't know, what to, I don't know what to say about you anymore, man. You, you slipping. I had an appointment to keep with. Uh, That's right. Social with, media awards. My bad. I'm sorry. With Mr. Rick. How, how was that, by the way? Yeah. It was fun. Um, I mean, it's not often you get to go to work and your job for the night includes putting Shaq in a folding in a office chair and then sliding him into a pyramid of garbage cans. <laughs> but <laughs> that was just one of the things we did on the social media awards. <laughs> I also got to sing. Um, we got to sing a sort of a freelanced version of it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday nice. on live television. So nice. um <laughs> Nothing you know, to humiliate yourself in front of millions of people. I told my wife, I was like, you know, the one thing I learned from doing that is like with Shaq there, you have to commit 100% because <laughs> Shaq doesn't care and he's going to go all out, you know, and if you don't go all out, then then you're the one who looks like you don't know what you're doing. So, you know, when Shaq, <laughs> Shaq comes up with these ideas, man, you just have to go with it. Very so. nice. Very nice. Well, you, you absolutely uh, missed out on a fantastic NBA Finals Um LeBron James finally getting his ring, making sure that uh, he shuts up all of his haters, uh, present company included, all his people who didn't believe that he was going to get the ring this year. Uh, I stand corrected. I picked the Thunder, by the way, as as several people keep reminding me on Twitter. I did pick the Thunder in seven. I was wrong. I'm over it. I hope everyone else is finally. Um, well, the the draft obviously is is most most pressing on the uh, NBA calendar. Draft night Thursday night in New York City. But uh, real quick, Lang, just uh, a synopsis or from you about what you saw in the finals and and kind of what it looks like to you now, a few days removed. The one thing that I came away with was that you know going into really the season, we kind of thought Oklahoma City people thought they might be a little young. A mm-hmm. uh, little inexperience, and I kind of thought that they'd gotten past that this season. Just watching them and the way they played in the playoffs, the, like the poise they showed against San Antonio to look so bad and then win four straight. I kind of thought they had overcome that and 
But really, to me, in the finals, they looked like an inexperienced team, a young team that wasn't quite sure what to do. Um, and I, I kind of thought that was the story of the finals. You know, Miami, maybe going there and, and losing last year really paid off for them. And, you know, I, I thought – I still think Oklahoma City is going to be a problem for a long time. But uh, at least this year, I thought they just looked a little young and a little little green, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I wrote about it kind of incessantly after a while. Um, they just couldn't seem to – to understand like how to humble themselves throughout the process. You know what I mean? Like they kept kind of talking about the fact that, well, you know, we'll, all we have to do is play harder. We'll, you know, we'll get better, you know, this, that, and the other. And it was like, maybe they're not understanding that the heat made significant changes to how they play, you know, round by round for some, some of that forced by injuries, um, but kept changing, you know, kept evolving in terms of the way they play. And, uh, you know, Shane Battier, Mike Miller, Mario Chalmers, all those guys stepping up, making big shots throughout the course of the finals. To me, it it reminded me of what Dallas did to Miami last year. Um, You know, for lack of a better example, it it was like one team understanding the magnitude of the moment and adjusting along the way, and the other team really not, you know, surrendering to that process. Um, You know, and of course... You learn, you know, you learn your lessons. Um, we'll see if they learn their lessons going forward. I thought what LeBron said was was pretty interesting about the fact that, you know, he planned on seeing them again next year. Um, yeah. Which I won't complain about. <laughs> NBA.com's draft guru and, and the Hangtime Blogs West Coast Drill Chief Scott Howard Cooper is a is an avowed, I mean, ridiculous fan of Oklahoma City. I'm surprised <laughs> he's not there now, just vacationing. Uh, but but the draft has has beckoned him to New York City. Scott, how how you doing, man? How, how's New York City treating you? New York City is great. Anytime that it's about seventy five or eighty degrees, but uh, I had a good one yesterday when I arrived. Okay, I had it. I had the cabbie that could not find Times Square. <laughs> let alone let alone the hotel. I'm staying in a hotel that's probably forty or fifty stories high and has been here boy at least 25 or 30 years Mm -hmm. and he acted like i was like i was trying to find some obscure place called Times square (laughs) sounds like somebody lang hangs out with new york (laughs) i'm I'm probably about 30 blocks north of you scott so if you get lost again or whatever give me a call (laughs) i just i just told him it was the street with the big buildings and a lot of people walking around that in new york because, because that's every street here. <laughs> uh, Scott, has any uh, has anyone uh, throughout this draft process? I mean, I, I've heard a zillion names tossed around after Anthony Davis. Has has anyone solidified that that second spot as we head into uh, into draft day? I mean, has it become clear maybe who the number two guy is going to be, or is that still in flux? No, I think it's still up in the air, partly because Charlotte is still listening to trade offers. Mm -hmm. I think, logically speaking, it's probably down to Thomas Robinson and uh, Harrison Barnes and Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Could be completely wrong on that, but after acquiring Ben Gordon, it's tough to imagine that they would go shooting guard again, as much as uh, a lot of people think very highly about Bradley Beal. Is that... 
if if they don't go Bradley Beal and if they go, you know, some some other way there, what happens to Beal? Where do you think he ends up? I think he's number three to Washington. If he if he does not go number two, and again right. to go number two, it almost certainly takes Charlotte trading that pick. I can't imagine he goes past three at Washington. I know the Wizards are looking at some other people, but Beal is such a, a need and a fit in a lot of different ways. Scott, when did when did the the Bradley Beal uh, campaign rev up? I know, I know he had a good season um, at Florida, but I don't remember, you know, four or five months ago, people talking about Bradley Beal being a top three pick, and now he's all anybody wants to talk about. It seems like. Yeah, you're right. He wasn't there uh, early in the season. He's a guy that came to Florida with a great deal of publicity uh, as a high school star. He was a major recruit, so people certainly knew of him. But it's only been in the last few months, the second half of the college season, then heading towards the tournament, um, and then once he did the testing at the Chicago camp and you get all the all the uh, the numbers back, that people really got a picture uh, a much better picture of where this guy was headed because obviously it's not just what he did last season, but they're looking at the trajectory and, and what's he going to be uh, the next five or eight or ten years, more, much more than what he's going to be this year. And so when they saw the improvements, when they saw this guy's game coming together and what he could be, that's when he really started to jump out. I know, Scott, a guy that Saker and I talked a lot about after the NCAA tournament was Thomas Robinson and just trying to figure out uh, how he would project to the NBA, you know, what position does he end up at? Uh, what has been the, the take on him from teams, and where do you think he ends up? Well, I have him going number two to Charlotte. Right. I, think he's a guy, I think he's a guy that a lot of people see him and say he may not be a superstar, and obviously if you're going number two you'd like the guy to turn out to be a superstar but you can see him having a very good career for a long time just very solid uh low risk certainly much less of a risk than than some of the other guys like harrison barnes or michael kidd gilchrist or the player we haven't even mentioned yet who probably has the second best potential in the draft and that's andre drummond Mm -hmm. thomas robinson Mm -hmm. doesn't give you those risks uh, he plays very hard. He's a physical player, uh, very good athlete, uh, improving game in every way. Remember last year, Kansas had the Morris Twins, who both went right. in the first round a year ago, and right. Thomas Robinson couldn't get past them in, in the rotation, and uh, which tells you something about probably the Morris Twins a year ago, but also Thomas Robinson a year ago. I mean, he really hasn't improved that much. Uh, to go from a bench player to one of the stars of the college game. Scott, I always get, you know, a little conflicted this time of year because um, obviously we we watch much more NBA basketball than we do uh, college, you know, the college game or international game. Um, the one guy I saw who I loved, you know, I just saw play – a couple times in the regular season and then in the tournament, I thought this isn't, you know, this is a dude who could come into the NBA and do damage is Royce White from uh, Iowa State. And then I look and they're talking about him going anywhere from late first round to the second round. And I'm thinking, who have the scouts seen that's that much better than he is? The problem being that he's not, 
one, one of the things that he did really well at Iowa State was that he physically dominated people. Mm-hmm. He played power forward. He played power forward uh, a bunch, and he's just not going to be able to do that at the next level. I, I think anybody that has him in the second round is making a huge mistake. My latest one, I've got him 18. I think he's a guy that's going anywhere from the mid-teens to the early 20s. If you're looking for a, a window of, of six or seven or eight picks, right there. Uh, very unique player. I think that's why some people have a, a handle, uh, a tough time getting a handle on him, because uh, the the comparison that uh, one executive gave me was Anthony Mason, that he can handle the ball really well. And I think there's this feeling of what's he going? You know, where does he fit in at the next level? A lot of it is semantics. Uh, here's the way you look at at a guy like Royce White, and there's a few other players that that fit into this mold as well. Some people will see him and say, no, he's going to really struggle in the NBA. He doesn't have a position. Where does he play? Other people will see the exact same player and say, well, that's great versatility. He can play a couple different positions. <laughs> right. um, I, I think maybe some teams look at Royce White. You see a lot of the positives, but you also struggle to get a handle on what exactly uh, you would do with him because uh, – He's at his best when he's got the ball in his hands a lot. He gets other people involved. He delivers the ball. Uh, he can score mm-hmm. himself. Uh, he's got a lot of versatility. The other thing, and this is the real unique case about Royce White, and I think that this is one reason some people have him dropping a little bit, uh, he's got an, an issue with anxiety disorder, and this has been well right. publicized. He's done an amazing job of talking about it, raising awareness, uh, wanting to shed some light on it that, uh, to sort of reduce the stigma. And, in fact, I haven't talked to him in the last few weeks, but he told me a few weeks ago that his plan is for his, when I asked him what he's going to be doing on draft night, is he going to be having a party with friends, is he and family, is he going to be doing a big deal? He's doing a fundraiser at a place uh, in Iowa that works with uh, kids that have emotional disorders. He's turning his draft night into a fundraiser. How great is that? I think that says a lot about him and what he wants to do. What it means in the NBA sense is this anxiety disorder. There were some times at Iowa State where he did not get on the team plane. Uh, mm-hmm. And when he did, it was, a, it was a struggle. That's one of the ways that the anxiety really overcomes him is in getting ready to fly. He says once they're in the air, it's fine. It's not like he's, it's not like he's really got a problem throughout the duration of the flight. It's just the buildup. It's just the getting on the plane, and, and as the engines are revving up, that's a really hard part. He swore to me he would not miss a single game in the NBA because of this. He would get on the team plane every time. Maybe there would be times where he'd get a little bit lucky, uh, and there would be a trip between Houston and San Antonio, between Philly and New York. Uh, between Sacramento and Oakland, and those are all very drivable. That's how he got to some of the games. In fact, when Iowa State opened the tournament, he drove with his grandfather uh, to the tournament game. That's how he did. That's how he got around a few times. He says it's no big deal. The school people have said it's no big deal because he dealt with it. I think most people in the NBA are convinced, but I can tell you that uh, that some people within the NBA said that sure, it's something that weighs on your mind. Do, are you going to have this guy for every single game if you draft him? Scott, I, I've, I've looked at the, the mock drafts on NBA.com, uh, your mock draft, EA's. we got the consensus mock draft, got all these mock drafts. I'll, there are lots of people who really love Austin Rivers. 
um, and have him high high on their on their mock drafts, some higher than others. He doesn't make your top fourteen, and I'm wondering what is it about him that makes you think he's not, he's gonna maybe drop below what some people think. And is it something about his game that, that you see that's a red flag, even if, uh, you know, going into the process? Yeah, I, I can say that right now I've got him at 16. And the one that mm-hmm. I'm the one that I'm planning to do to, for tomorrow, heading into the draft, uh, he's going to be higher. I don't know that he's going to be a lot higher. But right now there's some talk about him into the middle of the lottery. I think mm-hmm. that might be I think that might be a little overly aggressive. Uh, he's a guy with a ton of confidence. Obviously, he's got the benefit of knowing what to expect more than mm-hmm. most most anybody uh, heading into this situation because he grew up with the NBA. Uh, as much as uh, Marcus Teague, the point guard from Kentucky, can say that he knows what to expect from his brother Jeff, mm-hmm. uh, Austin, Austin literally grew up with his dad as a player uh, and then later on as a coach. So there's a lot of positives about him. I think it's a little bit of a situation of, are you drafting a shooting guard uh, that's going to monopolize the ball? Because there was a lot of thought at the start of the season, he was a huge recruit for Duke. And is he, you know, he's going to be a great point guard. And as it turned out, his point guard skills are not really good, good enough to be a full-time point guard. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's a, he's a scorer, but is he a scorer? Uh, how is he going to do moving without the ball? Is he a guy that when he gets the ball, that shot's going up? Or is he going to be able to uh, not be completely uh, – is he going to be able to look for the right shot instead of mm-hmm. being overly – instead of being uh, really pushing the issue? Uh, he's a guy his the disparity on him is, is probably more than any other player at the top of the draft because I've heard some teams talk about him in the middle of the lottery, other teams talking about him in the teens. The, the issue's really split. Hmm. Scott, uh, Sekou earlier kind of mentioned in passing international players, and uh, as far as I can tell, the only guy who's kind of talked about as a first-rounder this year is uh, Evan Fournier from, from France. Uh, what can you tell us about him, and where are all the all the international players this year? Well, I'll throw one asterisk at you before, before okay. we go too much further, and that's uh, uh, Jeff Taylor from Vanderbilt is actually from Sweden. Um, his dad is a former NBA player of the same name and was living over there, and Jeff was born there, and he's on the Swedish national team. But... He went to high school in the United States. He played right. college in the United States. So that one is sort of a, you have to decide whether you want to call him an international or a U.S. product. But I, it's just a cyclical year. Uh, last year was a huge turnout of international players for the draft, uh, All even several players up into the lottery and into the teens. Next year it's going to be a little bit better than this year. It just I think it's just one of those years I've heard some people say, well, I guess the international field is, is sort of dying out, and I don't believe that that's the case at all. It's just kind of one of those years. Uh, Fournier is, is a guy that could go at the end of the first round if some people are looking to take a player but not have to take on his salary right away. They would say, okay, uh, welcome to the team, and you know now go away, and we'll see you in a year or two. Uh, go back and play in Europe. Uh, a small forward, uh, a slasher, 
a guy that will get a little physical and get into the lane. Not a great shooter, but certainly a prospect. I think that uh, he would uh, end of the first round very early in the second round is uh, is very re- realistic for him. And I've got him going 33 to the Cavs right now. Well, Scott, before we let you go, give us your give us your one name of a guy you think might uh, you know surprise everybody and go higher than expected. Uh, on draft night, and and one guy who you think takes a tumble for whatever reason? Well, I don't know if it's a surprise anymore, but if you would have said a week and a half ago that Mo Harkless would be getting into the lottery, I think that people would have been a little bit surprised. Uh, I think over the last week or so, he's done workouts for teams uh, in the middle of the lottery, and uh, as really, I wrote a story talking about it, that he's really jumped up so I don't know that, that it's such a, a huge surprise anymore. If you're looking for sort of a, a long shot, a dark horse, a guy that's not any attention at all, uh, I really like Orlando Johnson from uh, University of California at Santa Barbara. I have him going as the uh, first pick in the second round. I have him going thir- 31 to the Hornets. I mean, <laughs> I know I do that. 31 to the Bobcats. Uh, I think the guy is a big-time scorer. He's going to be around for a long time. Somebody at the end of the first round, another interesting name, Will Barton, uh, a shooting mm-hmm. guard from Memphis. I think he's not getting much attention. I think he's going to have a nice career. The drops are, are names that people will recognize. Jared Sullinger, uh, would have, uh, a guy that a year ago would have gone in the lottery. Now late teens is very possible. Perry Jones III from Baylor, same thing, a guy with a lot of ability. Um, but late teens, early 20s is a possibility. I think these are guys uh, that people, the names that people are going to recognize that uh, three months ago as they're finishing their college season, people were talking about them in the top 10, and now, they, now they're going to be pushing it to make the top 20. I think another name, I'll throw one more out at you, uh, who probably is a surprise, Terrence Ross, the uh, shooting guard from Washington, has been invited to New York to participate in the green room portion of it, which means that the league office has gotten strong signals from the teams picking up near the top that Terrence is going to be going very high. I had him 17 in my last mock, and the fact that he's here and is going to be at the draft tomorrow is an indication that that there's a chance he goes uh, uh, higher than that. Hmm. Should be an interesting night. Uh, Scott Howard Cooper, NBA.com's draft guru and West Coast Bureau Chief for the Hangtime blog. Join us. You're in, uh, you're in the Big Apple, man. Find Lang tonight and see if he can't uh, buy you dinner. He's, he's somewhere <laughs> cheapskated around the city. Get him to buy you dinner tonight, Scott. I will definitely do that. Just tell your tell the cab driver I'm in Times <laughs> right, Square. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Scott. And we'll be uh, reading you on, on uh, NBA.com all over the place and on Twitter tomorrow during the draft. I know you're going to have some good stuff, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Lang, I don't, uh, I don't profess to be, uh, you know, the, the world's biggest draft cat. Uh, you know, I, I kind of lock into it and pay attention to it, you know, uh, this time of year. But uh, some of those names, I, I have to, like, I got to Google these names. Yeah. Uh, it's not, you know, Dame, one guy we didn't talk to him about is Damian Lillard. Yeah, who's, who's blown up big time on the uh, workout circuit and had a great 
you know, was a, was a great player in college, but wasn't a household name necessarily for people who are casual fans of the college game or only get a chance to really lock in on it during the tournament. It's going to be an, you know, an interesting draft night in that it won't be simply a parade of the, of these guys from the big schools that, that everybody's used to. There'll be plenty of, I mean, North Carolina's going to have their obligatory four or five guys drafted as will Kentucky, but uh, it's going to be some interesting, you know, off the beaten path names that pop up on, on, on the screen tomorrow night, which should be fun. All right, Lang. Well, instead of talking, you know, about the draft uh, from a, from an outsider's perspective, uh, we got a guy on who's going to live and breathe every moment of draft night. Uh, Tyler Zeller of North Carolina is joining us now on the Hang Time Podcast. Tyler, how are you, sir? Good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, tell us how nerve-wracking this process must be for guys who, you know, at every level – you get to choose until now. You finally get to the to the pros, and then you're waiting around wondering if you're pretty enough. It is very true. They test, you know, how tall you are, your wingspan. I mean, they test everything. But uh, it is something that, I mean, you go through. I've been through 10 workouts now working out for uh, teams in the range of the, the draft, that I think. And um, so it's something that it is very nerve-wracking. Um, I think my faith has allowed me to get through a lot. Uh, I think uh, God really knows where I'm going to go. So uh, that's allowed me to keep from stressing about it too much. But uh, even with that, it does uh, get a little stressful. Tyler, you know, we always hear about it at UNC in the summer, all the former players who are now in the NBA come back and you guys have big pickup games, stuff like that. Um, Haven't talked or, or, you know, haven't been around guys who played in the NBA. Have you talked to any of those guys about this process or, or, you know, what it was like for them, what it's been like for you? Yeah, definitely. I think I, uh, Sean May was actually back right before I left, uh, to start this process. And he was telling me, uh, you know, it's a long process, but, uh, it's something that, I mean, you just got to go through it. You got a lot of interviews. You got a lot of, uh, things that you talk to a lot of people. You got the workout. So, uh, it is a long process, but, uh, it's kind of that last step to be able to make it to the NBA where, uh, everybody's always dreamed of becoming a part of. Right. Tell it. When you go, when you know, when you first start this process and you're at, at North Carolina and you got your coach and everybody else talking to you, they're asking you to do a certain set of things to be effective, you know, for North Carolina. What was the feedback you got at the start of the workout process of the, you know, for the draft in terms of what you needed to do and work on to to make yourself, you know, shiny and new for NBA teams? I think that's something that we get into more after they draft you, but. Uh, I think something, I mean, I think my jump shot is something I've been able to show uh, throughout this process is much better than I could show in college. Uh, because of the demands of college, I always ended up in the low post. Uh, we usually had four people out from there. So uh, it's something that I never really showed that I could shoot as well as I can. Uh, but I think I've been able to show that over this process. And I think I can improve on that. And I can improve on a lot of things uh, over the next few years. Is it, Tyler, is it the kind of deal where you don't, you know, you're not exactly sure what you're, what they want from you until you get in there in those workouts, and then they start, you know, asking you to knock down 19 footers on a pick and pop or that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know the the first workout that I went to went into was Portland, and uh, it was very uh, kind of weird just because you didn't know what to expect, you didn't know what they were going to make you do, and uh, so we started doing some pick and roll situations, and uh, you did some one on ones from the elbow and the post, and. So something after that, I kind of had a, a premise of what I need to work on and what most workouts are going to be like. And from there, most of them are the same. They all have their little uh, kind of niche or different workouts that they or different uh, things they do in the workouts. But 
for the most part, that was the basis of what we did in all the workouts. Did you have to do any of those, uh, like, written tests? Or, you know, you always hear about the NFL guys having to take those kind of like, almost like uh, mm-hmm. math tests and all those kind of things. Did you have to do any of those? Yeah, we do have those. Uh, we go in and each team has a sports psychologist, whereas the NFL is more of a standardized, you get a score right. kind of test. Uh, NBA, it's more sports psychologist based where they, uh, it's not a score, they just write up a portfolio on you and your personality and, you know, whatever those sports psychologist people talk about. So uh, they write it all up and give it to the teams. Tyler, uh, so many guys from North Carolina uh, in the league and have been in the league in the past, and you guys are all going in, you, Harrison Barnes, uh, Henson, um, all these guys coming in together in a bunch. Is this a process year? Even with every you know every guy having his own agent, are you still able to go through this process kind of together with the guys you play with in North Carolina? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I think it's something that uh, I, I saw Kendall in one of my workouts, and John was in. Uh, four or five of them so uh, mm-hmm. I kept up with John probably better than the, the rest of them just because I've seen him and uh, we've been in a lot of the same cities together so you are going through it together you kind of go through the same uh, workouts the same you know situations. so uh, it's kind of funny you know you, you can go back and talk about situations and certain tests how hard or easy they were or like certain questions and so we have fun with it uh, it's something that uh, it is a long process and you just got to make sure you continue to endure it. You guys are like, hey, did you talk to that crazy sports psychologist over there? <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had a couple of those, a couple of questions. They're like, did he ask you this? Like, yeah. Um, so you feel like you're ready now? Are you ready for this whole process to be done with? Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, it, it was a fun process, but it's something I'm really ready to, you know, yeah. be on a team, have a home, and uh, be able to get used to a system and, and teammates. Uh, it's something that I really look forward to. Um, so I'm really, you know, excited to see where I end up. Uh, I don't really have a preference of where I go, but it'll be nice to be able to uh, be somewhere. Now, are you, are you going to be in New York for the draft? I mean, did you decide to, to be there in person so you can do the whole deal, walk across the stage and, and shake hands? Or are you going to spend time with the family and be away from that? Actually, I think I am going to be in New York. Uh, my family's actually flying up tomorrow, uh, so they'll all mm-hmm. be up here with me. So uh, it'll be nice to be able to have them at my table and, uh, then I'll go up do the sta- the walk across the stage, and uh, it's kind of a once in a lifetime experience. So I think I had to do it. Let's talk about your suit. What, what you got planned <laughs> for us? I got um, it's like a, a blue suit, but uh, I've only seen it once so far because we had to do a uh, first fitting. So I got right. the second fitting tonight. Uh, we'll see if it you know it's perfect or anything yet. So uh, they only got like two days left. So I hope it's uh, good tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming you've seen some of the history of, of, of the fantastic outfits people have worn. Um, just tell them to stay away from the Joe Kim Noah slash Jalen Rose collection, and That's, you should be fine. Yeah, Joe Kim Noah is actually the one I was just thinking of. I was like, ah, I can't, I can't go that extravagant. I'm more of a conservative, <laughs> traditional type person, so we'll keep it simple. Don't worry. Awesome. <laughs> Well, listen, Tyler, we appreciate it. We're going to be watching on draft night to see how this thing plays out. Good luck to you, and uh, good luck to you in your in your NBA career, and, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you many more times here on the Hang Time Podcast, man. All right, sounds good. Thank you. All right, it's going to be a big night for Tyler Zeller Lang uh, on draft night. It'll be very interesting to see how things play out for him and his, his baby brother, Luke Zeller. Uh, Cody. Cody, that's right, Cody Zeller. I'm sorry, there's been like, what, 19 19- – Zeller, seven-foot Zeller brothers um, <laughs> in college basketball. Cody Zeller at Indiana will be the next Zeller 
to to experience draft night. Um, but another another factor on you know in this whole draft process, uh, and another big player on draft night could very well be the Houston Rockets. And uh, let's go to NBA.com's uh, man on the scene down in Houston, uh, Mr. Fran Blindberry. Uh, not Blendberry, Fran Blindberry. NBA.com's very own. Uh, got your catchers mid out. The parade route ready for Dwight Howard's, uh, you know, uh, arrival. Fran, is is everybody in Houston giddy over the potential uh, eight-month rental of Dwight Howard? Uh, yeah, yeah. People are bending rims for uh, in anticipation of his bad free throw shooting. Uh, you know, as we speak, I guess. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, 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 I tell you, it, it's really not a. Uh, um, there's not a parade going on here. The reaction of most of the people, the fans here, are that they don't seem to think it's worth it. And they don't believe that Dwight Howard would sign long term. And uh, like I said, I, I haven't seen this big outpouring of emotion that yippee, we get him. Uh, what do you put the odds at that, that this actually happens, Fran? Geez, I ain't gonna put me on the spot for numbers. I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say it's. I, I don't know. I don't know numbers wise. I don't. Did you say fifty percent? Probably it's probably less than that. Maybe it's twenty five percent. But I think it could happen. I mean, with the, the, a new regime, a new GM in, in Orlando, he could come in and say, "Look, I, I don't want to get caught, you know, in, in the um, you know the Shaquille O'Neal situation where we get nothing." That uh, maybe you know he's kind of got coming from uh, Oklahoma City where they built through the draft. I mean, if the Rockets are able to, I mean, right now, you know, I don't think getting 14, 16, and 18 is is, is going to you know make anybody cough it up. But if but if Daryl Morey is still working, and I know he is, to try to trade this thing up to maybe get a couple of top 10 picks, and then you get the pick of a few players on the roster. Uh, you know, with with Jameer Nelson potentially leaving as a free agent, you could get Kyle Lowry in there. I wouldn't say it's 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 out of the question. I'm not just laughing it off because I know Houston would be willing to do it for the rental, and they have firm belief that when they if they get him here, they can show them that this is a they're a quality organization that they do things right for players. And I, the way I look at it as well, if the, if they don't convince him to stay, and you know, the Rockets are stuck right now in this perennial middle-of-the-pack rut, and they can't break out of it. I'm trying to look at the next step. Let's say that they, get, they, they could get Dwight Howard and know he doesn't want to stay. Now, though, when the trade deadline comes around, they do have an asset to trade to maybe still get better players back than they right. do right now. I don't know. Maybe, is, is that too much of a reach for my point? You know, you're, no. you're trading Dwight Howard. If you're trading Dwight Howard as opposed to right now you're, you're trying to trade, you know, a bunch of young players, draft picks, maybe at best Kyle Lowry, Kevin Martin. If we get to next February and you're, you're dangling out there Dwight Howard to other people, maybe that at least gives them a leg up from where they are right now. Sure. Fred, do – every year there's this – and I don't, I don't like picking on the Rockets, but every year there's this – this idea that, hey, they're going to do something, you know, monumental. They're going to do this really big thing, and they're going to do – and then I look up at the end of this regular season, and they're in the same position. What is, what is it that the that you think the Rockets are trying to to get done, and why why does it why do they keep falling short of that? Well, you know, I don't 
thing. That's an interesting, very good question, uh, and it leaves them open to to you know criticism. And I think it, your, your criticism is, is rightly directed at them. I think their biggest problem is they're not doing anything. I don't think any different than 80 or 90 percent of the other teams in the league. They're tr- doing everything they can to try to improve the, the, you know, the, their situation. They're making calls. They're willing to trade, you know, almost anybody. The problem mm-hmm. is they talk about it too much. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Daryl Morey goes out and tells everybody constantly, well, I, this is why I almost did this and I almost did that. Well, that's like me saying I got four numbers in the lottery ticket that I bought, you know, but I didn't get all six. You know, everybody, you know, we all want to win the lottery. You know, we all, we all you know, so you got to buy a ticket. You're all in that game. But, but he's constantly, he's been throwing himself out there. And he's been saying that, look, we're going to be in there, you know, Carmelo Anthony two summers ago, you know, that, that, that we're going to be there. We have as much to offer as anybody else. And when it comes down to it, we'll take Carmelo and, and, and Denver won't be able to resist our our uh, uh, package of whatever we offer. Well, it turns out Denver did resist them. They, they offered them the, virtually the entire roster. Take your pick of anybody, and Denver said, no, nah, we don't like them. So the, yeah. the problem, I think, has been that, that, that Daryl's been out there too much saying to everybody, this is what I intend to do, this is what I'm trying to do. We know that. You're an NBA GM. You're, 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 you're pretty good at what you do. You know, Come back and let us know when you get it done. And again, for, on draft night, as you said, Seku, He's come back at, for the last God knows how many years now. He's been on the job five years. Well, I tried to trade up here. I, you know, I wanted to get this guy. I wanted to get that guy. Again, just about everybody else down in the lower part of the draft has been trying to do that too. So don't tell us what you wanted to do, what you tried to do, what you almost did. Let us know when you actually get it done. And then you won't get all the blowback. Well, how long does, does Daryl Morey have to get it done? Are the fans there? Is, is ownership there? patient with this process or are people getting a little antsy now well it, it, it's kind of divided uh, Lang. It, it, I, I think uh, there, there's a segment of the fans that are that are very impatient and are saying yeah it, it's past time now it's been five years since you've been on the job uh, but there is no indication at this point that uh, Leslie Alexander the team owner is has, has that kind of feeling Leslie Alexander is still believes firmly in Daryl Morey uh, they this is the way they spin it, only the second year with F being uh, um, the ties now being cut to the Tracy McGrady Yao Ming era. There's no contract <laughs> obligations now to McGrady or, or or Yao or salary cap implications. This is the second year, so they're they're kind of starting the clock a little later. A lot of the fans are saying, "Hey, you, you know, you want a playoff? You've won one playoff series in the last." Uh, was it 17 seasons now? And so, so the fans are, are looking at this as the time being running a lot more. Uh, they're saying, and I think that's where Leslie Alexander is looking at it, saying, all right, this is his second season, and uh, he's got to get something done. They, they do feel the urgency. And what, what Alexander has never been willing to do is, first of all, take the dive for the lottery. He doesn't believe in it just philosophically, and he also just thinks numbers-wise – the way things are now, it, it, it's just not worth it because, you know, it, it's not the old spot time. You know, you dive down, you get the one and two chance at a coin flip. It's a lottery. It's a, it's a long, long shot. And even when you get the, the, the top pick in the draft, you're not necessarily always getting a franchise-changing player. And he also doesn't want to do incremental things that just gets the Rockets a little bit farther up, maybe into the eighth spot, the seventh spot in the playoffs. Less is 
if, we, if I can change sports and do the analogy, Les is playing home run derby. He wants to play, swing for the fences. It's win a championship and have that kind of thing or no, nothing at all. Fred, I, I've talked to a lot of uh, executives and agents the last few days, and uh, and I know you have as well. Are you getting and, – and I keep hearing the same thing, and I'm wondering if you're getting it, that be prepared for a, a ton of movement and trades and everything else in this draft for whatever reason. Are you are you getting a sense that this is going to be a busy busy day for, for movement on the draft, or, or is this one of those deals where everybody says that and then we get there and people just start, you know, plucking players off the board and worrying about the other stuff later for free agency. Well, that's right. That's what we're going to get. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're kind of in that familiar spot where people are saying, yeah, there's going to be a ton of trades, and then we get there, and let, let's see what happens. You know, it, always, it usually takes one pretty big one to sort of break the dam, to make things fall. And, and obviously the Rockets mm-hmm. are a real candidate for, for you know, doing that. There's no question they want to do it. They've got three picks, and, 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 and there is virtually no chance – I think that they will draft all those three players in 14, 16, and 18. None whatsoever. Kevin McHale publicly said the other day, "I don't want three more young guys. I got enough young guys. I got enough young players. I want some. I, I want some veterans in here." And uh, so, I, I mean, they're shooting for the moon at, at Howard, but if they can't get him, uh, they're going to try to go other ways. I mean, uh, you know, there's also a scenario that if, if they could attract Howard here in an attempt. To, um, to lure him to stay, then you got to have a better team. So some people have leaped right away to that they make a bid for Darren Williams. Uh, the other thing that's popped up today is, is it maybe not Darren Williams. Maybe they go and may put out an offer on Eric Gordon in New Orleans, mm-hmm. a restricted free agent, a, a you know a completely over the top offer that New Orleans doesn't doesn't want to and can't match. And then he would be the the, uh, uh, the you know the second uh, front line player in here. That that's their only hope of keeping Howard if they get him is they got to have a right. good enough team to convince Howard that yeah hey look stay here and at least you have a chance to win. Yeah, part of me, Fran, thought this might be another one of those deals too, where a team spends a lot of time talking about doing one big thing, or there's all this rumbling about it, and 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 wondering if is this their chance to go back after Pau Gasol, and, and do they even want to go back after Pau, or has that has that kind of faded after the sort of season? That well, they yeah, well, yeah, they could go back after Powell. And, you know, and I talked about this with, to, with some of the Rockets folks uh, in the last few weeks, they could, that, that Powell himself I don't think is an end for them. Uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, you throw it out, that it, it, you can say maybe did David Stern – when you see the season that Powell had, do you say, well, are they better off having not gotten Powell? But they they look at it as they wanted Powell. He was a first step. They believed that if they got Gasol, they had Nene lined up, that Nene was mm-hmm. willing to commit to signing with the Rockets, the committee, or then you got a, a, you know two uh, solid players on the front line. That, but that right. once Powell was taken away from them, Nene no longer wanted to come here. So... If they're going to go back at Powell, they, I don't think they believe Powell is the you know the foundation player, especially at, at you know his age now. You know you're not talking yeah. Powell Gasol at 23 or 24 now, so I don't think he's the guy that they go back and say you know we stick our flag in the ground you know on Powell Gasol and, and we've taken a great leap forward. Yeah. Fran, we appreciate you joining us, my man. As always, uh, fantastic stuff on NBA.com. Draft night should be interesting. Uh, you'll be super busy, I'm sure, in Houston, one way or the other, uh, with conciliatory press conferences or, you know, the 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 
the band and the confetti, maybe some of that, some of that good old fashioned Miami Heat stuff that goes on when uh, players show up on uh, draft that's, night of free agency. So that's right. Maybe we could get Dwight Howard saying, "Not one, not two. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. Thank you, sir, for joining us okay, on the Hang Time Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. I uh, well, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Talk, you know, just at least about how to pronounce Fran's last name. Uh, <laughs> I've watched it for years. Me and me, Mr. Super Sensitive about botching names. Yeah, if anyone should, has been, if anyone should be uh, careful about how to pronounce a name. Yeah, yeah, mine's you know how's mine? Mine's been hibachi for the last you know twenty five thirty years since you know I just turned twenty nine. But uh, don't worry, don't worry, I, about, I, don't worry about it, Suko. Um, I I am a little uh, a little miffed though at at, uh, some of these franchises that they always talk about what you know there's always this this rumbling about hey this might happen that might happen and I just I don't know you got to get so lucky man you got to get so lucky on draft night like not just getting a high pick but then getting a high pick and picking the right dude and he actually pans out is it luck or is it I mean, look at like the Thunder, who picked. It's luck. Is it? I mean, but they picked Durant, they picked Westbrook, they picked Harden. All three of those guys panned out. So I'm not, I'm not saying there's no the skill involved, but I'm saying even if you make the right pick, you got to keep. You know, the guys got to stay healthy. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you got to not screw up the pick the next year, and you got to make sure you get the right dude in free eight. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't mean just about the player. I'm saying there's so much luck involved with you picking the right guy. You know, and then him staying healthy, and then you add the other pieces around him to make a team like the Thunder. I mean, to me, the Thunder is like the the best case scenario times, uh, you know, a thousand in terms of how to get this process right. And so, and I'm sure Sam Preston, his staff, would be the first to tell you that there's as much skill, study, research, and you know, homework being done in that process as there is just flat luck. What if what if Portland takes Durant instead of Greg Oden? You know, right. the whole game has changed. It's it's, it's just so much in, you know so much to it. I, uh, I I can say this. I spent some time yesterday with Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in New York, and he was over at GQ, so I was over there and uh, talked to him for a while. And I I couldn't have been more impressed with him. Um, really? Yeah, just just an awesome kid, funny, um, poised. You know, we talked about what the whole process has been like for him. And, uh, you know, I mean, this is a kid who was six foot three until just like his junior year in right. high school. Uh, right. You know, he wasn't even sure like what was like he, he would be a point guard as a senior. And all of a sudden he's playing center. Um, but I, I mean, for someone who's been through such a crazy uh, change in his body like that, he's handled it really well. And, you know, he seems to be like picking up on it and learning. He's working out. Uh, I, I I was just really impressed with him. It was the first time I'd actually met him in person, and we talked for, I don't know, half an hour. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I really liked him a lot. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops um, the next couple of seasons. The, the the crazier part about it is he's the only name I've heard, you know, from scouts or uh, front office types or whatever I've talked to. He's the only one people tell me, okay, yeah, we're sure about him. They don't go two, three, four, five deep in terms of who they're convinced right. has a chance, you know, in terms of players that have a chance to be, you know, star players, you know, potential superstar type talents. Um, that's a lot of, 
that's a lot to carry into a draft. You're the one guy, you know, this that that one headliner draft, and then kind of everybody else in that mix behind you. It's a lot. Gonna be a lot of pressure on him if, if he's with the Hornets next year to go down and you know obviously help lift that franchise up and and make them a, a playoff contender. Um, the like I had to. Uh, mention one thing that you did miss while you were uh, social, you know, doing the social media awards. We played some serious pickup ball. You know, I, I just want everybody to know I made up for the T-Bowing incident uh, during All-Star Weekend in Orlando when uh, uh, he who shall not be named, you know, hit the game winner and, and went down to T-Bow. I didn't see him in Oklahoma City or Miami, but man, I wish he'd have been there. I I was running with a monster squad in in Miami specifically, um, and you can ask Steve Smith. Chris Mullen was on the sideline watching. Chris Broussard was there from ESPN, uh, the magazine. You you ask anybody you want. Ask 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 me. He was there. He played. Uh, me and John Schumann and Jeremy Bauman and uh, we had a couple other guys that ran with us. Uh, five straight. Before game five in Miami, we shut the court down. Ashawn Powell, he was there. He witnessed it. He he was on the wrong end of some of that. Um, five straight games to, to shut her down in the in the media pickup games during the finals. And uh, who, who else who else was on your team? Schumann was with me. Jeremy Bauman, who's writing for Sheridan Hoops. Um, we had one dude named Andre, big dude, about six five, six six. He showed up with Shandell Richardson, um, and uh, and I, in the in the fifth, we had <clears throat> was uh, gosh, who was our fifth? Shaq. Our fifth. No, no, we didn't need all that kind of power. Listen, we Steve we, we we showed everybody what a team was about. No, Smitty was on the other team. We we had to we had to punish Smitty's crew. Him and Kevin Cottrell on the other team. We had to light them up one uh one game. Um, and I'm telling you, I don't know what it is about losing to to NBA.comcast, but people were not happy about losing us. Like it was, it was, it was enjoyable. It was, it was fun to fun to play. I, the only problem was you weren't around to witness this, so I could get you to go back and update uh, Jada Kiss's Wikipedia page and get my name out of the mud on there. And, I'll have to say right this. I never, I never touched Jada Kiss's Wikipedia page. I don't know who did that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who did that either. I believe yeah. we might know who it is, though. It yeah, I know me. somebody did it. Yeah, I know somebody who did it. And one of, and one of those people is on on this show, Micah. It's either Micah Hart <laughs> or Lane. It, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. You don't hear Micah denying it. <laughs> oh, sorry. I got cut off there for a second. Yeah, exactly. You didn't hear us. Micah, um, said, he, Micah said he did have something to bring up. Oh, I just oh, – no. before we left, I, you know – Seeing as there are a couple of Hawks fans on this podcast, I kind of wanted to get y'all's take on uh, Danny Ferry uh, being brought brought into the mix. Somebody um, somebody tweeted me and asked me the same thing that that day. I, I'll say this: I just think as long as he's given money to to make the moves he wants to make, I'm willing to give him. The, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, I think the team is obviously they've got to do something if they want to get better um, and get up to that upper level and be a contender for a title. And, and you know, I, I'll give Danny Ferry a chance, but I think the ownership's got to make sure that, that they have his back and that they allow, allow him to do whatever it is he wants to do. That's my take. Yeah, no, I wrote, I wrote about it uh, when it was announced, man. I, I love it. I, I think Ferry is fantastic. And I think 
there's something to be said for having a guy who has not only presided over teams that have won big and, and done big things, um, but he's he's done it in two different places. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's, he's been on the inside as a player and executive in San Antonio where they've where they've won big and, and they run a first-class organization, obviously. But then he went to Cleveland, and everybody assumes, Micah and Lane, that it's just, you know, automatic that you you get LeBron and, you you know, you, you, win, you know, you win big. Well, that, it's not that easy. I mean, you still have to put a team around him. And, it, and there was never a, a multiple superstar setup in Cleveland. It was LeBron and then a supporting cast that had to really fit perfectly around the player LeBron was at, you know, from 2005 to 2010, which he was still a work in progress. As, as great as he, as he was then, he was still a work in progress. So you'd have the right kind of players around him for that team to be successful. And they, they made a trip to the finals, had the best record in the league twice, all on, on Danny Ferry's watch. To me, this, this again, I wrote it and I, I stand by it. This was a home run uh, for the Hawks because they haven't had this kind of guy with this kind of track record as their general manager um, in the, in any time recently that I can think of. Right. I just I like that they gave him a six-year contract. I mean, I think that's one of the things that yeah. they've had such a hard time with, especially on the on the coaching staff. It's just so hard to get settled when you've got you know one year or two year sort of deal. This at least, you know, right or wrong, he's going to have, it seems at least, he's going to have time to, you know, put his mark on it. Well, to me, it's a huge, this is a huge uh, time in, in franchise history for the Hawks right now because teams generally, you get on a run like they've been on where you, you're you successful, but you're not really winning. You know, you're not making the conference finals or, or playing that level basketball, but you you have a chance to get to that point. You either go one of two ways now. When you when you do that for a five year stretch and now you look you, you know you stand up take a breath you you transition into a new front office regime and you look around and go all right is this the guy that's gonna come in and break this down and we take some steps back to try and move, you know to get back up to a higher level or do we take what we have and they and they have a core group of six guys right now um, that you can either build around or you subtract a guy here or there and continue to build around but they have that kind of group. Ferry, to me, is the kind of guy that you could see building on this and making this team um, more of a factor in the Eastern Conference, especially with Boston facing a similar situation, you know, with their team. Um, the Bulls really uh, at a crossroads because of injuries and other things. You know what I mean? The Heat's the only team, to me, in the East that's really head and shoulders above the crowd. Now it becomes a deal where do you do you become the Pacers? And, and become one of those top tier teams, or do you take a step back? And, and I think the Hawks have a chance to to move into that that upper group if if things are handled properly. Right, I agree, and I, I I'm I'm curious to see what they do in the draft because um, you know they've they've got this history of either getting guys and trading them away, or they get younger guys who who don't play for a long time and don't really yeah. make much impact. So I'm curious to see what they end up doing um, Thursday night. Yeah, somebody asked me, uh, you know. I don't think the Hawks can get a, a starting player at that spot in the draft. And I'm like, have you have you taken a gander at the draft the past few years? You can absolutely get um, a starting quality player in the in the early 20s in the draft. There's no question about it. And uh, 
you know, it, it takes work, and they're going to have an interesting dynamic because I, from what I understand, uh, Rick Sund is still working, you know, draft night and with the franchise, but he and and Ferry and that entire operation will be in there together in the war room on draft night. So I'll be, I'm going to actually go over and, and, and uh, spend some time there on draft night and, and, and write something for NBA.com, obviously, on the goings on of this first draft for Danny Ferry with the Hawks. But I'll be curious to see exactly how the decision is made and whose call ultimately it is in terms of who you take. Because I guarantee you, before Danny Ferry took the Hawks job, Lang, he's studying the draft from the Spurs perspective. Uh-huh. You know, he 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 knows exactly who they may be what we're zeroing in on as a player in San Antonio. And I'm wondering if that's the same kind of player he would want, you know, if he's picking for the Hawks at 23. So, right. um, it, you know, I, I think it's, again, to answer your initial question, Mike, I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic move for the Hawks. I, I'm, I think people should be excited about the, what could get done on Ferry's watch and uh, should feel comfortable knowing that they got a guy in that, in that job who a now knows, knows the landscape, knows how to get it done. And will like you said, be, be there for the long term as opposed to a short term, short term fix. All right. Well, anyway, enough Hawks talk here on the hang time podcast. We, <laughs> There's you, never you, enough Hawks talk. <laughs> you two, you two are, are probably sitting back, you know, staring at your mock drafts, praying, wait, crossing your fingers that, Andre Drummond drops to 23 so the Hawks can get their hands on him or whatever it is. Uh, you know, but uh, again, this somebody asked me this and man, you must love your job. You go from the finals to the draft to free agency to summer league, blah, blah, blah. And I thought based on where we were this time last year, I, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about all this ahead of us. Uh, sure. you know, free agency starts Sunday night, the draft Thursday night. Um, it should be an interesting summer. Uh, and we're going to be bringing it to you um, with lefts and rights every week here on the Hang Time Podcast. So we appreciate you joining us, and uh, we will see you again next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and LangWithMe. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 